and welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and coming up on the show, we're going to talk about a couple different things. One is pandemic amnesty. What's that all about? Also, we're going to talk about why it is people want to be a politician, why they want to be in office, and I've got an example of exactly why they want to. And it might be something that you know, and it might be something that you're not aware of, but we're going to talk about that as well. But first off, as we start the show, Halloween has come and gone. Did you have a good time? What I did was pretty much nothing. The neighborhood that I currently live in was, in my immediate area, was dead. So I went for a walk. And a few blocks over, I found out where everybody goes. There's a cul-de-sac with houses that really deck out the Halloween decorations and stuff. And so if you uh, go to my personal social media, Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, you can see some of the video that I took and posted up there. But I really didn't do much this year for Halloween. I don't really do a whole lot uh, year in and year out. But uh, compared to 2019, when it was really the last time that we got to do something, because 2020, we're in the pandemic, and 2021, there was still some you know, iffies as to whether or not we should go out and do things. Um, but 2022 really didn't do too much now that we're fully back into being able to do stuff. However, what I did do was prepare myself for Halloween ends. Have you seen it? Halloween started it all in 1978 with The Shape, a.k.a. Michael Myers, and it ended this year with Halloween ends. I watched the movie. I started back in September. I've seen most of them, but I started back in September, and whenever I had time, I'd watch, start over watching them. Uh, There's a couple I skipped over, like Halloween 3 had nothing to do with anything, so I skipped that because I'd seen it before. I did not watch the Rob Zombie movies because I just didn't feel like it. And uh, came to the realization that I actually had missed out on Halloween 6. Never seen it. And supposedly that gives the backstory as to why Michael Myers is Michael Myers and why he can't die until this last episode. But I was sitting there watching these movies, and there's a few that that I enjoyed, like the first one I enjoyed. And then there's a few along the way that I enjoyed. I thought they, the final three, which was Halloween and then Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, I thought the first two were decent um, as far as that final three. But uh, I finally watched the last one and dumbest movie I'd ever seen. Dumbest ending to a franchise I'd ever seen. I thought Star Wars was pretty bad when those final three episodes, but this was worse. This final episode was horrible. So don't waste your time unless you really are a lifelong fan of it, and you want to see it, see how it concludes. But it really had nothing to do with Michael Myers, and it really made Michael Myers somebody who wasn't Michael Myers all these years. I'm not going to give you any information in case you do want to see it. I don't want to give you any spoiler alerts. But it got me thinking back to 2019, before everything you know shut down, and I was thinking, wow, 2019 Halloween was actually a pretty full Halloween celebration year. Um, Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. Have you been? Did you go this year? When I went, I spent most of the time, because I hadn't been to Halloween uh, Horror Nights in a long time. Back in college, it was Knott's Scary Farm down at uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Do they still have that? I don't even know if they brought that back yet. I'm sure they have. But went to Halloween Horror Nights in 2019 and hadn't been to Universal Studios in a while. So I decided to, well, we decided to, the people I was with, um, decided to kind of go on the rides at first. 
And so we did. We did all the rides like, you know, the Simpsons and Jurassic Park and some of those rides before we even went down to the back lot where all the mazes and the scary stuff is. And I think we went to one maze, waited an hour and a half, and then decided to go back up to more rides and spent a bulk of the day or this bulk of the night on Jurassic Park. We found out, you know, where the camera takes your picture down that big drop. And so we decided to come up with like this ultimate picture. And so we did it over and over and over until we finally got the perfect picture. And I think to me, it's one of the top three best pictures I've ever taken going down a ride, like a hill like that, where they flash your photo. And so uh, we spent a lot of time doing that, but it was fun. Uh, Got to go on a lot of rides, got to do the Halloween thing. And so it was a blast. The company was fun. And so we had a really good time. And then did a couple things like uh, there was something in an industrial part of Los Angeles, like in some nondescript industrial building called The Creep. Do you know about it? Did it ever come back? It was kind of cool. You go inside, it's completely enclosed, and it's kind of an audience participation where you kind of walk through this maze, and there's stories that will develop, and sometimes you'll be in a bigger area, bigger room, and everybody will be in there, and the plot kind of continues with everybody, and then who you follow or where you go, you might get a different perspective on the story. It was kind of unique, and it was a spooky feel to it. And then there's some interactive things where you can go and take your picture, and your picture would come out in different ways um you know maybe you costume or you could go black and white or you can go you know with a, a shadow a shape behind you that made it spooky and there was all different kinds of things and that was called the creep and it was all right um went to uh war costume and went to uh howl at the moon universal studios they still have that i know it was going to move to hollywood boulevard before the pandemic did they ever make the move and did it even open back up again costume party that that was fun that was always a fun time going out the moon but dressed up everybody was in costume everybody's having a good time went to a couple other places that had costume parties and uh danced the night away during that halloween weekend and then also combined it with uh dia de los muertos day of the dead which is a uh mexican celebration i believe and it's remembering those that have died before us and so uh at the college i was working at, at the time we put on a big uh, dia de los muertos uh, celebration on campus, and it turned out to be really good. Had a good time with that. Uh, played different types of games and celebrating that culture, that heritage. Went to Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Saw Cafe Tacuba and um, all the displays that were there. And so, again, if you go to my social media, Instagram, Eden Rocks, you can see some of the pictures there that I took from that day. And so it was uh, a full kind of festive into October, into November in 2019. And so I know the last couple of years was uh, mellow because of things that were going on in the world. And then this year, just never really got into it. But if you celebrate Halloween, which I know a lot of people do, I saw a lot of pictures on social media. A lot of people really enjoy that holiday. Uh, some of the neighbors, like I said, a few blocks over, they really get into it with all the decorations. And I guess some people are giving out jello shots and other people are giving out other kinds of shots to the adults. Not really sure that uh, taking jello shots and other types of uh, shots from house to house is wise when you're out with the kids, but to each their own. And then, of course, all the kids were getting candy and stuff like that. And so costumes everywhere. And some people had lights, and, you know, instead of spooky and scary stuff, they had kind of festive lights, which reminded me that for about 15 years, I lived in a neighborhood where about four or five square blocks was huge for Halloween. People would come from outside the area to celebrate Halloween. In 2019, the last time I actually did something, gave out candy to trick-or-treaters, 
had the house uh, outside the house, kind of like in a little disco. And so it was family friendly and people could come up and get their uh, candy, made a table, you know, your setup in the driveway. So people could come up. They didn't have to actually go to the door, just to the driveway and keep moving. Um, and it was a lot of fun. This year, I was prepared before I uh, left the house to go for the walk to kind of see what was going on in the neighborhood, but nobody showed up. So you know, I've got some candy for myself that I'm going to enjoy. But it got me thinking also about the fall of the year. I know a lot of people look to New Year's as the time of year where we're going to start over, New Year's resolutions, all that type of thing. But I always like the fall of the year as a new beginning. I always like the fall of the year just to begin with because not only – being on a college campus and teaching, it's a fresh start for a lot of people, whether coming back to school or whether you're coming off the high school campus and you're going to college for the first time. So there's a lot of excitement, a lot of anxiety, a lot of different emotions, but it's like a new beginning for a lot of people. Then you've got obviously the weather, the change in season, depending on where you're at, the leaves might change, the temperature cools down. You've got the beginning of college sports, college football kicks off, and then you've got volleyball. All sports are playing, you know, baseball's in the stretch run, the pennant chase, the World Series. You've got hockey, they drop the puck, basketball. And so it's just a fun time of year because it's a lot of new beginnings, new seasons starting in sports, new seasons starting in life, new seasons starting on campuses, school campuses all across the country. And so again, for me, the fall of the year is always kind of like that new beginnings, that fresh start, and it's always a fun way to uh, start the year. And then, of course, you've got the holidays. You know, you've got Halloween, which is what most people look forward to first. And then you've got Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. We've got bowl season. And so, uh, to me, the fall of the year is always a fun time of year. And so, if you celebrate Halloween, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you had a good time. Hopefully it was a lot of fun. Maybe next year I'll get into the spirit a little bit more and go and see a couple things around the community that uh, didn't get to, kind of some haunted houses. Um, I do remember one thing, though, when it went to uh, the Halloween Horror Nights, you had a long wait, and the payoff for me personally wasn't really there. So I guess maybe that's why I never go back to those things as far as the spookiness of it, the scariness of it, because the payoff, it was just gore as opposed to suspense, thrilling, you know, get the blood rushing. Gore doesn't do it for me. But uh, maybe next year I'll get into it a little bit more. But looking forward to now into November and December, And then, of course, January starts the new year, and we go from there. So hopefully you have a great and blessed holiday season. And if you celebrate Halloween, hopefully it was a good one for you. Now, as we get into the bulk of the show, I want to start out with a uh, something that's interesting that I hope doesn't get me banned from YouTube because I've been banned from YouTube a couple times or put in the penalty box for talking about pandemic-related things. But somebody by the name of Emily Oster came out with an article. Have you heard about it? Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. So let's declare a pandemic amnesty with the subtitle, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. It was written on Halloween 2022. And she goes through and talks about how we need to forgive everybody because people got it wrong. And most of it comes from the standpoint of the liberal mindset and those people and what they believed and how they got it wrong. You can read it for yourself. Just type in, uh, let's declare a pandemic amnesty, and you can read it for yourself, see if you agree or disagree. But as I was reading through it, I got to thinking, no. There's no way we're declaring a pandemic amnesty. What you did 
and what you caused other people to go through and the accusations and the vitriol and the anger and the violence. No, there's no pandemic amnesty. We're not going to forgive because you want to be forgiven. Now, again, I must quote or I must uh, uh, preface this with, if you really want to understand forgiveness, episode 66, and there's been a couple episodes that I've done forgiveness, but episode 66 of Two Steps Ahead podcast, you can go to RadioWarp.com and you can click on the Two Steps Ahead logo and scroll down and you can listen to episode 66. You can go to our Rumble account, our YouTube account, it's still up there, TWO, Two Steps Ahead podcast, and you can search for episode 66 and it talks about forgiveness. So we're not going to be talking about forgiveness here because forgiveness is something a little bit different than this. You can forgive people for what they've done, but that doesn't mean you're going to forget about what they've done, nor are you going to let them off the hook for what they've done. They need to be held accountable for what they've done. And this article, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty, as I was reading it, it really was a call for, hey, we, our side, the liberal side, got it wrong um, and you just need to forgive us because, you know, that's just how it goes. But no, first off, there is no apology. So your forgiveness of your amnesty isn't going to be readily accepted by anybody. And a majority of the people that I've seen online that were, because you had two sides, right? You had the, the pro-government side of how to handle the vaccine, and then you had kind of the common sense, the logic, the reason side. And the reason common sense and logic side was basically, hey, it's your choice. If you want to do something, go ahead and knock yourself off. But I don't want to, and I want to live my life according. The other side, the more liberal government-minded side, was mandates, shutdowns. You have to do this or die. Instead of freedom, choice, my body, my choice, it's do or die. And so there, there were two dramatic sides to the spectrum. And during the pandemic, you had people on the dramatic side wishing death. I can't tell you how many times someone told me, I hope you get COVID and die because of your beliefs or other nefarious things. And all we were saying on this side is, hey, it's a choice. If you want to wear your mask, go ahead. If you want to get the vaccine, go ahead. I just don't want to participate in that because, because common sense, reason, and logic, I don't see how this is very beneficial. That's all it was. And now this side over here that caused a lot of problems, lockdowns, loss of jobs, uh, loss of businesses, loss of savings, couldn't do graduation celebrations, birthday celebrations. You had uh, things such as your basic freedoms, your rights, your freedom to speech, your freedom of religion being taken away from you, things being censored online. You had uh, police in Brooklyn, for example, shutting down a synagogue. You had people getting arrested for being on the beach. You had someone arrested in Malibu for riding a paddleboard all alone in the Pacific Ocean. And you had like this whole Coast Guard, SWAT team, sheriffs, everybody descend near the Malibu Malibu Pier and arrest this guy for being on the ocean. And then you had all kinds of nonsense from like Mayor Garcetti where you can either be on wet sand versus dry sand and all this stuff. So it really was something that really caused a lot of division. And then, of course, the hypocrisy when Black Lives Matter hit and the masks came off for the protesting. And then, of course, you had the politicians such as Nancy Pelosi getting her hair cut or Gavin Newsom at the uh, laundromat restaurant, the French Laundry doing his thing, and all the others, Gretchen Whitmer, husband wanting to take his boat out, and on and on and on and on. So we saw the hypocrisy. We saw that. And so now you've got somebody Emily Oster, who wants to have pandemic forgiveness. And it's really a condescending type of article. 
So she starts in April of 2020, blah, 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 blah. Her family would go on a number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I made myself. This is her talking. So when they would go on their hikes, they'd wear their cloth masks. We had a family hand signal, which the person in front would use if someone was approaching on the trail and we needed to put our masks on. So it was a hand signal. Once, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her, social distancing. So for me, all I need to know is sitting right there as to what type of person this is. They bought hook, line, and sinker, everything that the government, everything that the news media fed them, they absorbed it. Now, again, my thinking is always logic, common sense, and reason. I'm not just going to accept something because somebody tells me I should. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to do my own research. My research is going to include things that doesn't include mainstream media, not Twitter. And that was the problem. A lot of people got their information on social media on Twitter where truth was suppressed, which is kind of ironic now because now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, I'm starting to see the shoe on the other foot, as they say, and a lot of liberal people freaking out. Because certain people are being allowed back onto Twitter. And you're starting to see other things get flagged from the other side. Liberal people making wild accusations and claims. Now they're getting flagged, so everyone's flipping out. So the shoe is on the other foot now. But so you start to see somebody who bought in this hook, line, and sinker. And now she's copying to the fact that what she believed and what she was told was probably wrong in her eyes. But she went along with it, and this is her mea culpa, saying, oh, yeah, you know, um, got it wrong, but, hey, you know, that happened, and now we just need to move on. These precautions, as she writes, were totally misguided. Back in April of 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the things we did, we didn't know. Well, we did kind of know. If you looked and you did the research, you would figure it out. There were some college universities that did some research. There was this guy that came on CNN with Anderson Cooper, Dr. Alec Patel. And he had this to say in February of 2020. It's going to transmit just like any other upper respiratory infection. So a lot of transmission through droplets from people spitting, coughing. And that's why it's really important to wash your hands, which is what everybody's been saying, because people are going to catch these respiratory viruses through their mouth, their nose, their eyes. And when it comes to the mask, that's really only going to be to prevent you from spreading the disease, not necessarily from preventing you from catching it, if that made any sense. That's interesting. So people were wearing masks thinking that it's going to protect them from getting it. It won't. Why? Because if there's droplets in the air or droplets that are land on them, it could go in their eyes? Well, not only could it go in their eyes, but the droplets themselves that contain the virus could be a lot smaller than what the masks are going to protect against. Hmm. And on top of that, if you're wearing a mask, but you're not practicing any other precautions like washing your hands, you're putting yourself at risk. So again, the masks are really only for people who are already sick to prevent them from spreading the droplets. So that was February 1st, 2020 on CNN with Anderson Cooper, the doctor talking about the mask. There was another research that was done 
that said the masks weren't going to really help because actually what happens when you sneeze through the mask, the droplets get broken down into even smaller molecules and they could spread further. And of course, smaller molecules then could get into the eyes and other things. Um, land on your phone. Did you wash your phone ever and then bring it to your face? So there are a lot of issues that common sense, logic, and reason would dictate that "Mm, we need to rethink this thing. Now, what they should have done is gotten everybody N95 masks. That might have made a difference. But wearing a bandana or buying those things at the pier, at the beach, in the mall, those cloth masks, they weren't going to work. But we knew it from the beginning. However, people needed that safety, that whatever you want to call it, to put on to visualize that they were safe. They needed that teddy bear, that safety teddy bear, and it became the mask, the crutch. And there was a lot of people, some people today still wear it, and that's fine, but they still wear it. Others say it was going to be a hard time for them to take it off because they're so used to wearing it. Well, that's fine too. Again, my side, my thinking is if you want to do it, knock yourself out. That's fine. But we did know. We did know that some of this stuff wasn't going to to work, even though she says that we didn't know again. Yes, we did. She goes on, I've been reflecting on this lack of knowledge. She's now teaching a class on the first years of COVID. And she says that they spent several lectures reliving that first year and discussing many of the important issues. One, schools being closed too long. The health risks of in-school spread were relatively low, she writes, whereas the cost to students' well-being and educational progress was high. So keeping kids out of school, she's finally admitting that that was a problem. That's something that uh, should have been addressed a little differently, which is true. Uh, But with only a glimmer of information, she says, reasonable people, people who cared about children and teachers advocated on both sides of the reopening debate. Now you're starting to see it, right? You're starting to see politicians as election season. Now all the politicians are backtracking what they actually did. No, we didn't, Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, governor of Michigan. No, schools were closed for three months. Well, that's not really true. And then you have, uh, what's her name, Weingarten or whatever, the the union lady that's out there uh, spouting, again, lies about what she believed and what she said. And then you had um, vaccines. You know, when they came out, she says right here, we lacked definitive data on the relative efficacies of the viruses. So if we had defend, if we lacked definitive data, why was it a mandate? Again, that's what we were saying all along. We were saying, hey, I don't want to put something in my body that we don't know what's going to happen. And whether you're a denier or not, we know that there are side effects, myocarditis, and all of a sudden all these people that are all of a sudden just not with us anymore. Young people in their 30s all of a sudden having heart attacks. But nobody wants to question that or talk about that. Again, even though she says in this article, we need to move forward and we need to talk about things and we need to solve problems, which I totally agree. She says that in the article, Emily Oster. But yeah, we can't talk about certain things because it's still political and we're in an election season. So you talk about public health. And she even says right here, these missteps, they weren't nefarious and I don't believe they were. But again, why did you make things mandated? Why did you have someone like Rachel Maddow going on and making blanket statements like this one? Virus stops 
with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. So again, she was adamant, and that's her belief, and that's fine. But again, where was her mea culpa? Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't necessarily true. No, they just move on. They forget about it. They leave. It's like a tornado or hurricane that we just saw down in Florida, right? All the damage that's left behind. The damage they left behind, they're just moving forward. Let's just forget about this. We got to move on. And that's what this article is all about by Emily Oster. She goes on, the people who got it right for whatever reason, well, whatever reason is common sense, logic, and reason made us think about it, may want to gloat. Now, we're not gloating. We know and we knew then that we were right about our beliefs, our personal beliefs. Those who got it wrong for whatever reason may feel defensive and retrench into a position that doesn't accord with the facts. And see, that's what she's doing, I think, here. She is feeling defensive because she's starting to realize maybe a lot of her beliefs that she believed were wrong, and this is her way out of it. But again, when you're not telling people the truth, when you're not allowing both sides of the story, I mean, you think about that. How many doctors were censored on YouTube? How many people that talk about it even to today, like myself, get censored on YouTube? So if this show happens to disappear off of YouTube, you know why. They don't want us to talk about it. Even though Emily Oster says we need to talk about it now. And not only do we need to talk about it, we need to forgive everybody that caused the damage. And again, episode 66 talks about forgiveness. This is a different topic. Because you can forgive people, but again, you don't forget and you don't let them off the hook. Just like I'm sure if you were like Paul Pelosi, he was attacked. Now they've made it political. But for whatever reason, the dude should go to trial and the whole thing should be played out in court and let the jury of his peers decide and then give him punishment. But no, all of a sudden in San Francisco where there's violent crime and people getting out of jail or not even being arrested, all of a sudden this guy is facing federal and state charges and is going to spend the rest of his life in the electric chair because of who the victim was. So again, we're not really dealing with moving forward and having resolution because we still have a favored system. But we knew all along. And that's why she wrote this again, because she's feeling defensive because the things she admits in here were wrong. And now she's realizing this as she's teaching her class, I guess, about COVID. And she is actually at Brown University. She's an economist at Brown University talking about it so she goes on um getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing no but getting stuff wrong like the vaccine cost people their lives cost people lockdowns cost people their jobs their savings their careers their businesses so yeah it wasn't a moral failing if you want to write that but there was a lot of people whose lives came to an end because of these decisions What about all the people that were put into a home by Governor Cuomo and all those deaths? And yet he never took 
and never apologized for it, never took responsibility, and then he got bounced. So again, she writes, we have to put up these, we have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. That's laughable. Why not come out and admit you're wrong? Why not apologize for it? And then come together and talk about the issues. Because you're being smug in this article, what you're talking about. Because again, you might have been on the side and you still might believe your belief, and that's fine. I'm not changing, I'm not trying to change anybody's beliefs. But what I'm pointing out in this article, here is somebody that was so pro that side, pro-vaccine, pro-mandates, pro-shutdowns, pro-lockdowns, keep kids out of school, et cetera. And she's starting to realize, Emily Oster is starting to realize through this article in The Atlantic that some of the things she believed and some of the things she was fed wasn't necessarily true, nor were they right or the right course of action. And the whole thing could have been resolved if people did not include mandates, if they did not try to shut down our freedom of speech, censor our freedom of speech, if they did not try to uh, lock down everybody and lock down gyms and other businesses like small restaurants that lost their jobs, you know, salons, places like that, people that haven't been able to recover financially. What about people that lost out on those occasions of celebration, like I mentioned earlier, graduation and stuff like that? or people that weren't able to mourn the death of a loved one or weren't able to be in the hospital alongside them as they passed away. So, no, you can't just have pandemic amnesty because too much damage was done to one side because of the vile, the vitriol, the hatred, the whatever you want to call it from the other side. You can't have amnesty. Too much damage was done. There needs to be something, someone coming alongside and saying, you know what, we were wrong, at least in some of the stuff that we did. We tried, but... We were wrong in the manner in which we did it. Because, again, you need to die. I hope you get COVID and die. You're wrong. It's a vaccine. It's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Biden said that all the time. No, it wasn't. It was a pandemic of a disease, of COVID. So we need to put the fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. Again, we talked about the L.A. County closing its beaches. She writes, ex post facto, which basically is Latin for in hindsight, which is always 2020, makes no sense. No more sense than my family's mask hiking trip. So I'm glad she starts to realize that being in the outdoors, you weren't going to get it. Coming to the uh, realization that some of the things that you did, but again, does this guy that was arrested in Malibu in a paddleboard, does he still have a criminal record? I don't know. But that's the question that needs to be asked if we're going to have this. She goes on to claim that uh, she was in favor of reopening schools and was called a teacher killer. Well, that's pretty bad if she was. Nobody needs to be called a teacher killer. And hopefully those people that called her teacher killer would reach out. And maybe they can start the dialogue. Maybe the people that were on that side, that were pro-everything, maybe they can get together with the people that called them stuff because, you know, the liberals, they turn on each other and they eat each other. Maybe they can rectify things first and then come talk to the rest of us when they are not being so smug and condescending in an article saying that we need to just forgive everybody and move on. Forgive and forget, move on. She writes now, uh, moving on is crucial because the pandemic created many problems that still need to be solved. Absolutely. But again, you and like-minded people, you caused it. You caused it because of a political election, 
Remember when Kamala and Biden said, don't take the vaccine if Trump was responsible and then turned around and mandated to everybody? Masking everybody? And again, the sad part is the kids. She goes on to write about test scores being down, math, and data that needs to be improved so that we can get people back to, or these kids back to wherever. She goes on and talks about more about uh, vaccines like measles and pituitous and all that or whatever it is. But again, the fact is, is that there's a lot of distrust out there now. I don't distrust any, I mean, I don't trust anything that comes out of the mouths of anybody in the media. Uh, in fact, I don't watch any mainstream media much anymore. I don't listen to anything that people have to say about stuff coming out because I know it's not true. I have to go do my own research. I do a lot of it and I don't rely on Google news or Yahoo news because they're going to float misinformation or the lies that people put out there or a biased news cycle. I'm going to go and look at independent sources and look at independent sightings and do the research myself. And if I'm reading something, let's say on CNN and they quote something then I'm going to go to that source that quoted that information, find out more about them. It takes work. But if you're getting your information on Twitter or social media, it's going to be skewered. It's like telephone. Somebody says something. I mean, look at Paul Pelosi and the attack and how much lies were thrown around out there. We still don't even know what happened. A lot of questions. And there's some liberal media that are now trying to find out. You're starting to see headlines. More questions than answered in the DA's press conference. And on and on and on. She closes out her article by saying the standard, or the standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, but dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to a repetitive doom loop as well. Let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together to build back and move forward. Well, what she's missing out on, and I'll end with this on this particular thing because I want to move on, but what she's missing out on is some people took this pandemic And like the saying goes, you don't let a crisis go to waste, and they took control. That's all it was. They didn't care about the welfare. A lot of people didn't care about the welfare of people. They wanted control. They wanted power. They wanted to maintain that control, and they wanted to maintain that power. And so, no, we can't forget. We can't give amnesty and just say, oh, oops, my bad, and move on. There has to be consequences to it, and the first place you can start is at the ballot box. Vote the people out. If they came to you and they lock you down and they caused harm and grief, why would you put them back in office? I mean, seriously. But there's going to be people that do that. It's absolutely crazy that you would put people back in office that voted or made decisions that affected you negatively. They shut you down. They closed your business. They made you lose your job. It didn't affect them. They didn't do anything. They still had their whatever lifestyle that they wanted. They didn't abide by anything that they made you abide by. They still had all the freedoms in the world to travel, do whatever. Traveling around, AOC went to Florida because Florida was still open. So even though you were locked down, people were traveling all over the place, meeting with people, celebrating. The Super Bowl, LA had a mask mandate at the time of the Super Bowl and people were still running around maskless. So again, the powers that be, the hierarchy, the oligarchs of America, the politicians that were out pushing these things, no. There is no amnesty. Are you kidding me? There needs to be, I don't say punishment, but there needs to be something in order for 
If you want reconciliation, see, that's the other word. It's reconciliation. If you want reconciliation, you need to come. You need to admit what you were doing was wrong. You need to apologize for it. See, forgiveness can be real quick. Forgiveness can be for you did something to me, but I'm going to forgive because I'm going to get it off of me. Forgiveness is for me. I'm going to forgive you because I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm not going to let this bother me. I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to put this to bed for me. If you want reconciliation, that's the other side of it. Then you need to come. You need to apologize. You need to admit what you did was wrong. You need to sit there and come and say, okay, this is what happened. Have a conversation about it and then see if you want to move forward together. You might have a forgiveness, you might have an apology, you might have a reconciliation, but you might not want to move forward together because there's too much damage or whatever the reason might be, and that's okay. But what she's talking about is not amnesty. She's talking about reconciliation, and she gets it all wrong. Reconciliation needs, you need to admit what you've done. You need to come clean. You need to confess, ask for, or say an apology, ask for forgiveness. If you want to reconcile and move forward, you can't just have amnesty, a blanket like, oh, well, my bad. Let's move on. No, you wouldn't do that in your personal life with somebody that cheated on you. You wouldn't do that in your professional life if somebody stabbed you in the back. You wouldn't do that in any other place. But the fact, Emily Oster, that you got it wrong and now you might be having a conscience about it and you think that we should just move on. No, that's such a liberal thing to do. Oh, got it wrong. Let's move on. So forgiveness is one thing reconciliation is another thing. And in that article, I think she talks about reconciliation and her whole point of just let's move on and forget about it. No, if you want reconciliation, if you want to move forward, you need to come clean, apologize for what you've done. Maybe you got it wrong because you naturally did believe the things that were being fed to you. But you also ingrained it in your four-year-old when on the bridge, he's screaming at some other kid, who's probably four or five years old, who knows, social distancing. And that's what happened. So again, no, no to pandemic amnesty. If you want reconciliation, go figure out what it is. You're a college professor and economist at Brown University. Go figure it out, then write another article, and then maybe we can talk about it. Now, it is election season, and one of the things people are doing are coming to you for your vote. Because without you, they can't keep power. And there's all kinds of things going back and forth. But this is why. If you really want to know why people want to be in political office, they don't care about you. I've said that time and time again. A majority of the politicians, they don't care about you. They only care about themselves. If they're on a local level, all they want to do is get to another position that's higher up. Another position that's higher up. Another position that's higher up. Pretty soon it's the state level, then it's the national level, and then eventually, depending on your fortunes, you might be trying for the presidency of the United States or some other big-time office. But that's all it is. Everybody's always talking about the talking about Gavin Newsom now, running in 2024, even though he said if he gets reelected, he's going to serve out his term. We all know that's not going to be true. It'll be dependent upon if he thinks he can be successful in a presidential election in 2024. But again, this is why people want to be in office. And I'm going to use California Democratic Representative Eric Swalwell, who was a big anti-Trumper pushing this January 6th thing. Well, this is what he has done. Okay? And don't forget, he was the one that slept with the Chinese uh, spy Fang Fang. So he dropped nearly $60,000 on travel expenses in just a six-week period. This includes a trip to Miami Beach and the hot spots in Miami Beach. 
hotels in Paris, France. And this is all public record because you have to put it out there with campaign finance records. The Swalwell campaign's choice of posh hotels carried nightly price tags between $400 and $3,700. Can you afford a $400? Can you afford rent? Can you afford gas? Can you afford food on your table for your family? Let's start there, let alone taking a $400 a night trip or a $3,700 a night hotel stay. According to the U.S. Census Bureau data, again, six-week span, he spent $57,094 in travel expenses, and that is only less than $10,000 than the median American household in 2020. So from April 1st, 2020 to May 18th, 2020, he spent $57,000. $67,000 was the median American household in 2020. I'm sure it's dropped because of everything that's happened the last couple of years, but this is why they want to stay in office. Money, travel, power. They're immune to everything. They make laws that only you have to follow. They don't have to follow. They oppress the people that vote them into office. So why do you continue to vote them into office if all they're going to do is oppress you with their laws? Talking about all kinds of things that we're not going to get into because I want this to be a political conversation. There's a lot of things that's hurtful to people, just everyday Americans, you, and yet you vote for these people. So Swalwell's campaign, which consists of two paid staffers, not sure who else is with them, but dropped thousands at a luxury hotel I guess luxury hotels in prime vacation spots. $4,708 at Lowe's Miami Beach. The campaign doled out $1,752 at a five-star hotel. La Maison Champs-Élysées in Paris, France. Nightly rooms run around $1,000, maybe $1,200 per night, according to the article. Again, if you are a representative from California, what are you doing in Paris on the taxpayer's dollar? Why using campaign funds to travel to Paris? And again, this is why they want to stay in office, because they can use other people's money to travel the world and do whatever they want and live a luxurious lifestyle, much like the Russian oligarchs, because that's what they are. They become these American oligarchs. They can do whatever they want, and they don't pay for it. And I've got another story coming up to back that up. The Mason Champs-Élysées in the heart of Paris is Golden Triangle, an elegant marriage of contemporary lines and unobstructive luxury, according to the description. That's the other side of the swanky hotels that are nowhere near his district. The highest expenditure came from United Airlines, where the campaign dropped $13,000 on flights. Committee also spent $7,815 on American Airlines and nearly $1,300 on Alaska Airlines. The Cadillac congressman appeared to continue his luxury limo kick, spending nearly $6,000 on such services, according to the disclosure. How's your car payment coming along? Do you have a car payment? Can you afford a car payment? Can you afford $6,000 in luxury limo rides? And then, of course, there was the $1,500 and the $1,000 on Lyft and Uber rides. Again, this is a uh, six-week time frame. 
April 1st to May 18th, 2020, $57,000. Okay. This is more than what he spent in communication, consulting, and fundraising services. Last year, so 2019, I guess it was, Swallow's campaign dropped tens of thousands of dollars on booze and limo services and also spent $20,000 at the luxury hotel where his wife used to work. Hmm. Interesting. Tens of thousands of campaign dollars included limo services, hotels, high-end restaurants, alcohol delivery services, and that was over the second quarter, according to FCC records. So all this is public knowledge. You know, $20,000 here on the Ritz-Carlton, Half Moon Bay, where Swalwell's wife was director of sales until 2019, according to a LinkedIn profile. And it goes on and on and on. They just want to spend money. They just want to have the ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, at your expense. And so if that's the case, what are we getting to? And then they create laws. That are hurting, you hear about it now, right? And it's campaign season. Oh, this side, that side. They're a threat to democracy. They're a threat to democracy. Here's what Ronald Reagan said about a threat to democracy back in 1961. Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here, did that little band of men so advanced beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. So how much do you make a year? Do you make $174,000 a year? That's how much a member of Congress makes. $174,000 in salary. Pretty much get the month of August off every year, plus other times of the year off, extended vacations. See, when our forefathers set up government, government was supposed to be a part-time thing, and now it's full-time, and people are making mass amounts of money. Do an uh, uh, internet search sometime of the net wealth of people in Congress and in the Senate. Now, some made it in private business, which is their right, but what about Diane Feinstein, Mitch McConnell, and some of these people that have been in Congress for 40 years who've done nothing except lived off the teeth of the American people. Some of them, their spouse made money. We all know about the, the stories about the Pelosi's and this insider trading stuff that's going on. Seems a little uh, bizarre with the way that their stock portfolio has become based on voting. You can look that up in the news media, in the newspapers. That's just not me. Go to sfgate.com and figure it out. Uh, you can see for yourself. But $174,000. So we just talked about all the expenses, $57,000 in a six-week time frame in 2020 that Swalwell spent. He's up for re-election, by the way. So another story. This is June 2022, so two years later. 
from the previous article or the previous time period. This is an article dated 2022 of June 2nd. California Democratic Rep. Eric Swalwell wants to use donations to his congressional campaign to pay babysitting for his three children while he is on foreign government-sponsored business trips for his taxpayer-funded job. Again, not really sure what the representative of California is doing on foreign government-sponsored business trips. Oh, wait, maybe he had some important business to do? Well, let's find out. So we had uh, Swalwell's lawyers sending a letter to the Federal Election Commission asking for the organization to expand the rule allowing candidates to use campaign funds for babysitters to be used for overnight child care while traveling overseas for work. How are you doing with uh, child care? Can you afford it? Do you work a couple jobs just to make ends meet? Do you make $174,000? If you did make $174,000, would you be able to afford child care or do you think someone else should still pay for it? So it says... Um, which, by the way, the FCC said, no, you can't do it. The congressman's campaign lawyer argued that his status as a well-known member of Congress and a prolific fundraiser has gotten him many invitations to go to events, including invitations from foreign governments for information-gathering visits, which means he would be gone on overnight trips. Information-gathering business, uh, information visits is just a fancy way to say he's taking a vacation overseas. He has no position that he needs to go traveling anywhere to do anything. He answers to Nancy Pelosi only. The congressman already uses more campaign money on nannies than any other member of Congress, spending $15,000, almost $16,000 on child care. um, um, Check that. Spending nearly $16,000 on child care through the first quarter of 2022 and $72,000. How would you like to be his nanny? $72,000 since 2019. Dang, no wonder why Fang Fang shacked up with him. Well, they said no. If the ex-FEC expanded this rule, allowing candidates to spend campaign cash on overnight child care, it would be a perk that is not available to more working Americans who are forced to pay for child care out of pocket. So the FCC even said, we can't do this because this is something that the American people wouldn't be able to do, so why should you be able to do it? Let's see, Swalwell's wife, a hotel executive, has traveled with Swalwell during two recent foreign trips. So, okay, you want to know what these important information-gathering visits are about? Well, the U.S. Qatar Business Council paid $19,000 for Swalwell's flights, lodging, and food when he took a trip over there in which he took some pictures where he rode bare-chested on a camel in the desert of Qatar. Not really sure what kind of information he's trying to gather. Being without a shirt on a camel in the desert of Qatar. But apparently $20,000 will get you overseas. The Swalwells in February of 2020, you know, went on an all-expense paid work trip to Germany. Staying in a hotel that costs $611 per night. Not really sure what he needs to do in Germany. Now, they paid for it, so, you know, that's fine. But again... If he's getting all these perks, why not just make those governments pay for it? Make the government of Qatar pay for his uh, nannies. Unbelievable. 
Swalwell has come under scrutiny for his proliferated campaign spending with one government watchdog group saying the Democrat uses his campaign coffers as a private piggy bank. Well, that's obvious. Duh. Swalwell spent more than $20,000 on luxury car services, hotel stays, and so on and so forth. Money at swanky hotels, $17,000 for babysitting. So there was a rule change. In 2018, get this, this is the kicker. In 2018, there was a rule change. Anyone running for Congress before 2018 has been allowed to use campaign cash to pay for child care during campaign events and fundraisers. Now, the change was made, so you can no longer do that. The change was made after groups like Vote Mama Foundation argued that it would allow more women to seek office. Okay. So, Sawwell once told this group that led the charge on the rule change that he once had to reevaluate if he could stay in Congress due to child care costs taking a toll financially. So apparently $174,000 a year and child care takes a toll financially. I ask you, how much do you make? How much do you spend in child care? What do you do for child care? Swalwell wants you to pay for it and then pay for your own child care as well. But this is why politicians want to stay in office. They don't care about you. Now, some may, but they've never cared about you. They only care about their wallets, their pocketbooks, their power, their trips, their status, and on and on and on. When was the last time a politician actually did something for you? I heard somebody say one time, talking about Biden specifically, or they weren't talking about Biden specifically, but talking about Biden, the comment was made that senators make horrible presidents because all senators do are kick things down the road. Look at illegal immigration or immigration. How long has that been going on? If you grew up in the 80s, nothing has changed since the 80s. And yet the same people are in office for 40 years and nothing has happened on immigration. You could take Social Security. You could take any number of things, abortion, whatever. Now they want to codify Roe v. Wade. All these people have been in office for 40 years. Pelosi's been in office since the 80s. And every year they use these things to get you to vote for them and then they do nothing about it. So as you go to the ballot box, or anytime you go to the ballot box moving forward, think about what's in it for you. They're getting theirs. They're getting high salaries. They're getting all the perks to go dance naked in the desert of Qatar on a camel. They've got $57,000 they could spend on luxury hotspots. When was the last time you took a vacation that wasn't at the Motel 6? That's what they're there for. So why do you vote for them? Why do you keep them in office? Because they tell you to? Because you want to be a part of some in crowd? Because you're going to die on the sword of your political ideology? Why don't you start thinking about yourself for once? What's in it for you? Stop believing all the propaganda that's being sent down and decide what's in it for you. How am I doing? What's my lifestyle like? And start looking at people, whoever they are, that might be able to benefit you. Maybe it's time to get politicians in office that represent not a national party, or national politics, but politics that represent the community, the neighborhood. And that's why I always say, if we want to affect change, we have to start at the community level, the neighborhood level. We've got to start within the community with our grassroots and then go from there. Because all those people are doing are making money. All those people are doing are getting rich. All we're doing is getting poorer, getting more oppressed with the laws that are out there. How about those... uh 
Tesla vehicles that were being forced to buy by the year 2035 at a tune of $60,000. Good thing we got thumbs. Maybe we can hitch a ride from the people that are driving the Teslas to get to work. But you got to start thinking for yourself. You have to start to realize that people on the outside, they pressure you to follow an agenda because it only benefits them. It doesn't benefit you. You got to start thinking for yourself. We don't need to just excuse their behavior. Oh, they're just X, Y, Z, and so therefore it's okay. No, it's not okay. If you can't get away with it, if you can't do it, if you don't benefit from it, why should they? It's supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, for the people. But it's government of the oligarchs, by the oligarchs, for the oligarchs. That's the American politician. Now, again, there are some that do good. So I can't say all of them are. That would be misleading. But just look at a majority of the politicians that have been there forever. What have they done? Nothing. What do they do? Nothing. Do they care about you? Absolutely not. All they care about is themselves and what they've got going on and their backroom deals with business, with war, with whatever their special interest is that's paying them money. How many times have we seen big tech sit on Capitol Hill and these congressional leaders sit there and question them about censoring and all this stuff, but then we find out big tech donates all kinds of money to every single one of them, and so nothing happens. What's in it for you? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to let them benefit from it? Or are you going to take a stand and say, not en- uh, that's enough? Take a stand and say, not anymore. You've gotten away with it for so long, but the gravy train is over. It's time for we, the people, to take back the government. We, the people, at the ballot box, voting in people that are going to worry about the constituency and not national politics. Allow the states to get back to governing states' rights and not trying to federalize everything because that's not what the Constitution is about. Let states' rights get back to governing the people because what's best for California isn't what's best for Nebraska, isn't what's best for Florida. Something to think about. This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Hey, check out our uh, website, RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. Just click on the logo, Two Steps Ahead Podcast logo. Our shows pop up. You got the video, and then you've got the audio from SoundCloud. You can also go to um, Instagram, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and some show clips on the shows and everything is there as well. You can go to the Linktree link in the bio, and it connects you to our Rumble account. Our SoundCloud account, our Rumble account, basically now just hosts our videos, uh, the video portion of the show. And you can uh, go to the video. You can go to the audio on SoundCloud. You can hear us on Spotify, Pandora. Basically, listen anywhere you listen to podcasts with the audio version. You can download the audio version from SoundCloud and take it with you on the go. Um, and when in doubt, just, hey, Suri, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, play TWO, Two Steps Head Podcast, and we pop up. And so with that... I'd like to say, hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Make sure you take your passion. Make it happen. That includes taking your passion for yourself and not letting others take that from you. Let that inner greatness come out and utilize it for your benefit. Don't utilize it for somebody else's benefit who doesn't care about you. 
So again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.